subscription defines the, I guess, the cadence at which you receive goods and membership uh, defines the benefits that come with engaging with uh, a brand, putting your money where your mouth is and engaging with the brand for the long term. All right, folks, we are back from another ROAS all the way from France. We were able to wrangle Tim Masick, bring in yellow and sexy back to the internet with 1-800-D2C.com. Tim, thanks for joining the show. Uh, yeah, pleasure pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Roba. Yeah, and for so some of you that don't know, I just found this out actually offline. Tim's first language is actually French. He is right now living it up in the... Is Corsica considered the French Riviera? No, right? Is no, no, no. no. No, it's a French okay. Riviera. It's beautiful, the, though. The south, and then it's an island off the south. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, my fiance wants to go there. There, it's a, it's very Como esque vibes, right? Where it's like it's just stunning. Well, yeah, you've got the cool thing about Corsica is you've got the mountains and the beach all really close to each other. It's like super mountainous, yeah. but a tiny little island in the med. So you were telling me you actually grew up because you went to school in the states, right? You went to uh, NYU and then Cornell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I. I uh, I grew up in Europe. I was living. Uh, I was I was born in France, and then I lived in London for a number of years. And then, uh, because I have the U.S. passport, I was able to go study uh, in the U.S. So I went to NYU for undergrad, and then stayed there, worked uh, in the advertising space, um, and then. And then after a number of years being in New York, I, it was like nine years total, I, I decided to move back to London where I live full time. Um, it was just nice to be closer to home, closer to, to Europe. And uh, I've been there since, uh, yep. yeah, for the past three years. So I was recently out in London. I got to tell you, fantastic city, really fun city, but I don't know if I just didn't do it right or I previously went to Barcelona. And again, it's not an apples to apples comparison. New York and London is probably a more fair comparison than a Barcelona to London. But I got to tell you, it's incredibly expensive. Like the hotel room I got was like a regular hotel room. It was a million dollars. Flights were really expensive. Uh, it's crowded and like not in a. So Barcelona, like I love, especially when I go to these cities, because there's really not any walkable cities outside the U.S. in term, except for New York. New York, you can kind of walk, but everything else is fairly the the people in the states love our cars yeah. um and barcelona was just such a dream like i could just walk around there carefree like it was just really set up to walk they have these big thoroughfares all the crosswalks are awesome you don't have the stress of traffic where london i didn't get that people and this had to drive you crazy coming from a new yorker for nine years like in, in manhattan in specific like you get trampled like if you don't walk you'll you, like mm. you gotta go fa- like it's a in London, people just stroll. You can't get around them. It was driving me crazy. I will give you restaurants, though. The restaurants were amazing. And possibly I didn't do the city right because I didn't go to the palace. I didn't go to Tower of London. I didn't do the museum. Uh, Piccadilly Circus, that area is really cool. That was a cool vibe. But I don't know. Give me, give me Stand up for your city here because I was a little bit uh, bearish on it. When I went, I, I, was gonna, I was more bullish than when I left. Well, I mean, so you also went to Barcelona, which on, and you have to know that you're in vacation mode. So when you're in Barcelona on vacation mode, uh, it's it's a great place to be. And there's a couple other town, you know, cities in in Europe that are wonderful over over the summer break. 
Um, when it comes to London, it's a very livable city. That's the right word to use. Um, it, okay. It, it's, it's a place where you'll find good, good business opportunities, good work opportunities. Um, and, uh, and you'll be able to have some, some sense of balance. New York it's so, so you can compare it to New York in that way. And you wouldn't compare it necessarily to a Barcelona for those reasons. Um, New York's also great for the, for the work opportunities, et cetera. And yeah. as you said, people walk extremely fast. They do everything extremely fast, which is, is all the charm to New York. And that's why you want to be in New York. That's what you want to get out of New York. But um, for many people, I, there comes a stage in their lives when they say, okay, well, uh, do I have to sacrifice all my balance for, for, for this? And, um, and for me, that, you know, that, that happened a couple of years ago. And that's why I decided to move back to London, which is still a fast-paced city, lots going on, but a lot more widespread uh, and a lot more balanced. So th the last thing I'll say on London to, to big it up is it's got so much to offer it, and it's difficult to experience that on like a, a one-off, I'm trying to experience London as a whole. So it's, it's a very widespread city. That I will give you. I think that was also something that I didn't really recognize where um, somebody's telling me it's also it's almost like 2x New York, which is like bananas to me because New York is just such a massive metropolis. And so that's fair. And maybe that's what it was where uh, I really wanted to live in my bubble of like, you know, 30, 45 minute walk from where I was staying. Um, so that's fair. I did get to go see so Soho District was cool. I got to go to the, so the OG Soho house. That was really cool. You guys love your little kind of clubs. So a friend of mine had, a, I think it was a homegrown club, like these just little kind of very inconspicuous houses. And then you go in them and they're just like these just gorgeous plaster everywhere, like very cool. So that was neat. But yeah, I don't know. I was just... Uh, Great cars, to be fair. So I had mm. recently went to Dubai uh, three or four months ago. I forget when. And Dubai is just crazy cars. But there is probably, on average, the cars are probably nicer, quote unquote, in Dubai. But the hyper cars, like the real rare ones, I've never seen more than I have in London. Uh, so that was that was a treat for me. I'm a bit of a car guy. But I take Same. your point. You're, you're bringing me back around. Well, I have to, maybe I have to give it another shot and give it more of a, the breath. Herod's was crazy. That was one yeah. of the most incredible things i've experienced where the dubai fashion mall was over the top but Harrods, like the real estate just the real estate alone has to be just mind-bogglingly in terms of net worth like i mean you're right in the yeah. middle of everything this beautiful building yeah Knightsbridge is like that's that's a very expensive area and that's where you'll see all the hyper cars if i if i can ask what's uh what's like your dream hyper car so it's funny you say that I don't really have a dream hypercar. I mean, so like the Bugattis and the like, like the fancy ones. I'm a simple man, simple pleasures, Tim. I like I think like the supercar for me would be the GTR. Just give me a souped up GTR, all wheel drive. I won't kill myself in it. I still get a ton of performance. There's still some some connection with the common man. You know, mm -hmm. you don't feel like you're too far apart. Um, in that, that a LaFerrari would be nice. We saw one of those where it's just. I don't know how that works though, because do the shells behind the seat have like reinforcement or something? Or are they just so wide they're gonna, never going to flip? That was the one thing that um, worried me a bit. If I was that rich, I'd want to have some semblance <laughs> of safety. But that was a sexy car where it's just this, the lines on it. Uh, we saw a GT40, which is also a sensational car, but it's not as it's a super awesome car, but not as fun. In the or it's even more of a flex in London, obviously, because the the import taxes are like a car loan by themselves. 
Um, but yeah, I guess a LaFerrari would be nice. I think the lines on that are just so sexy. But um, uh, if I was going to get like a supercar, non-hypercar, it'd probably be a, like a GTR. And they're not insanely egregiously priced where you can get one, you know, 80-ish K. It's still amazing. Mm, mm. What about you? Um, well, so I like... I, I I don't know that if I ever was was uh, in a position to buy one, I I don't know that I would ever even buy a hypercar. To be honest with you, right? Uh, uh, but like the coolest one I find out there is the F12 Superfast. Oh, I have to look this up. I don't even know it's this. A, it's a Ferrari. It's a Ferrari. Ferrari F12 Superfast. It's just uh, it's just such a cool. Oh, car. that we saw one of those. That is a stunning car. Okay. I'm a, I'm a bit of a Rari guy. I do think like if I went kind of primo douche where it's like, hey, forget it. I'm just going to let people know where it's at. I, I think I would get a Rari. That's a beautiful car. That yeah, is a nice. beautiful car. But obviously the, the, like the coolest ones are the, all the vintage, the vintage cars. Like a vintage 911 is really nice. And uh, yeah. yeah, we saw some pretty fun um, OG like Mercedes and stuff where it's like, yeah, they have there's just like a little bit of class on that um yeah yeah it's beautiful okay maybe you brought me around to london fair point um do you like do you like london more now than new york do you miss anything about new york i miss a ton of things about new york uh and i i do i love living in london it's it's where i want to be right now so i'm super happy there and then um i do go back to new york twice a year for a month every time so i'll do one month in the fall one month in the spring just because, well, I love the energy there. I have a lot of yep. friends who live there. And there's lots of things happening in the world of e-commerce and related to work. So those are like three good reasons to to go back. And uh, yeah, I love it there. That's amazing. How did you get, I mean, NYU, Cornell, those are fairly prestigious universities. How did you get into marketing, advertising, D2C? I, the, the first, I initially, well, basically I've been... Um, I've been, and I think a lot of people can relate to this in this space. I've been a fan of uh, consumer brands since I was a kid. Uh, yep. So I always thought they, like I connected to a pair of Nikes uh, in quite a strong way and it helped me define my identity, for example. And that was not just with Nikes, but with a lot of a lot of different brands. And uh, and I don't think there's anything like wrong or like consumerist about that. I think it's, uh, it's just how I, how I felt. And so... When I went to university, I, uh, I realized that I kind of wanted to learn what was the art to creating these, uh, these powerful brands. And so that took me into the world of advertising. And then when I was in advertising, because I was also super interested in entrepreneurship, which is very related to tech, especially at the time, uh, like that's all we spoke about uh, in New York and all we saw. I said, well, I don't, I don't just want to do like big ads for, for big big brands, I want to know what it takes to grow a brand in the same way that you're doing it with Triple Whale, for example. If I was to become CMO of a business tomorrow, what would I do? And that took me in the path of performance marketing, growth marketing, which is actually very much in its infancy. Uh, this was in you know, 2014, 2015. So, so yep. still actually pretty early. And uh, I worked for an agency where um, uh, the founder was one of the uh, most knowledgeable people in the space at the time. And he taught me everything I needed to know about growth marketing. So 
I got the technical skill set there and I was tossed in the fire with, you know, complicated clients and all that stuff. So I learned to fend for myself and really learn these skills uh, on my own. And, um, and that's when I started working on a lot of e-com businesses because that was the early heyday of Facebook ads and all that stuff. So a lot of people are just trying to milk, milk the machine and I was helping them yeah. do that. So that, yeah. so that, that's how I got from sort of university into the world of uh, brands and then into the world of performance, which is then correlated to the world of tech and entrepreneurship and eventually all the way back around to 1-800-DTC and the kind of stuff I'm doing now. Yeah, that's actually a beautiful progression. I love the thing that you said about Nike. What do you think drives that type of, like, I guess just emotional connection? Is it just resonating with you? Is it aspirational stuff? Is it success? Mm -hmm. Is it the people they align themselves with, like a LeBron or whatever, the, the Ronaldo or whoever you you know are aspiring to? What do you think the secret sauce is? Because I'm with you on that. I think that there's a certain aspect that those uh, what am I trying to say? Those concepts or basically pillars of awesomeness kind of relate to D to C as well, right? It's just at a smaller scale and it's just mm -hmm. different goals, right? Like Nike kind of just wants to be everywhere. Whereas a D to C brand might not have those resources to be everywhere, nor do they need to be because they have a totally different cost structure, et cetera, et cetera. But what are some of the things that you think, like you said, in Nike, like other brands that either do well or like, what do you think makes that aura of brand? Cause I have this weird, um, aversion to brand. I think brands, this really nebulous term, but it's also really important to create a brand. I just like to hear how people think brands manifest. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a very tough question to, to, to answer. And I think that's what I tried to set out in my career to at least understand a little bit better over time. Um, but you're you're basically tapping into something uh that 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 uh that is very personal and emotional for somebody and so for me when i think of yeah. nike for example i i think about like the grit and the hard work and 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 so just do it or the people they back and and the the events they put together everything they do ties i think to that to that emotional idea of like anybody can do anything uh just just get to work and 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 for me that resonated a lot with me and and so the great brands uh uh of the world i think are able to to do to do something uh to touch to touch the human on an emotional level yeah very well said very well said. have you read shoe dog the phil knight memoir yeah yeah of course have you Great. Yeah. Yeah. Great read. Lot, lots of boozing, lots of boozing in Japan as well. Crazy shoes in Japan, but a very yeah. fun read. Crazy story. Amazing, amazing entrepreneur. And yeah, it's just, it's funny how yeah. it's all starts from, from track. And I don't know if you're into running, but, yep. uh, I, I am actually, Oh, you are. See, I wouldn't get, yeah. I wouldn't get long distance running shoes from Nike necessarily, but, uh, of course, yeah. they make great, you know, track sprint running shoes and all that stuff. But it's funny how it that that kind of evolved over time. Yeah, fire on the track. Prefontaine, he was a, a big. I used to actually run uh, Division One cross country and track, and he was no a big, big inspiration. And then we would buy uh, 
the Nikes. Uh, there was a mid middle distance to kind of longer distance guy named Bob Kennedy, and he had um, specific spikes, so you, everybody would wear the the Bob Kennedys and stuff. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Everything you explained in that kind of previous segment is exactly when I unwind why I wanted to wear like the Bob Kennedys and I was into Steve Prefontaine and I was a big um, Oregon Ducks fan just I have no connection to Oregon outside of um, Prefontaine and then Phil Knight it's basically like a pseudo Nike campus where he basically gives them whatever they want he's a huge donor there but yeah. yeah it's it's interesting how and it's almost fascinating sometimes because you can't really connect the dots backward or you can't connect them forward. So like to build this strategy out would be really difficult. But like when you look back at it, it seems so not amateur, but very like for lack of a better word, novice in strategy, but it's actually very high level and complex in terms of the output. Yeah, totally. It's, it's so it's, uh, well, it's, it's difficult to look back on, on a recent period and then it become you can start to make, see patterns or you, you at least try to make sense of everything. And, and, you know, with enough time, I guess it would be, it basically, I think it would be an easy task to draw comparisons within anything. So you'll, you'll, you'll yes. find a storyline no matter what with enough time. Uh, but like you said, it's, uh, taking the next step is that's the least amount of, um, I guess the, you can, it's the most amount of, uh, like gradient where you can go because it's your first step. So it's going to naturally have like the highest sort of gradient in in one way or another, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. It really sets the tone of where you're going to go. And then your next step is obviously a function of your previous step. And so you're going to obviously always have that, um, there. I love that, man. Uh, Okay, one last question for you, and then we'll move on to the value add segment. What's the nicest thing someone's done for you? I don't know if I. I mean, so so many, so many. <laughs> I'm I'm grateful for so many things, and and uh, I'm trying to think of like one 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 good thing. I'll tell, maybe I'll just give you one one story. One of my one of my uh, good buddies, he uh, he. I was I was trying to run this race, and he was uh, he wasn't a big runner himself, and uh, and uh, and I really needed a ride to go like deep upstate to get there. And he was like, "Fuck it, I'll take you." And he drove me like a couple hours, and he actually ran the race uh, as well as a non-runner. So that's a that was a nice that was a nice recent gesture. Oh, that's beautiful. Do you still run a lot? Uh, it's not too much. I, I run like once or tw twice a week, maybe twice a week, and uh, and relatively short okay. distance, like five to ten k. Yeah. Not nothing, nothing too crazy. Yeah. yeah. What about yeah, you? I love it. That's amazing. Um, no, I did. I did my time. I already. I, I used to run. Uh, like I said, competitively from sixteen. I'm thirty seven now. I'm super old. But from sixteen to twenty three, twenty four. Um, yeah, it was, it, I loved it because it helps you understand the, <clears throat> I always said running was the easiest, hardest sport because everybody can do it, but to be very good at it, there's just all these kind of extracurricular things that go into it. But the mm. big challenge for me was it's a 365 
kind of sport and there's not really a lot of method to the madness. It's ultimately, and again, this is probably just my myopic view of it, but it was just who can put in the most miles, quality miles at pace without getting hurt. Those were the mm-hmm. people that won the races. And so it was always just this, how hard can you push your car? Uh, metaphorically speaking, but there's a certain, there's a certain beauty to it. I did. So I recently got into meditation in the last four or five years, but I think my mental aspect was really, cause I'm a little crazy, a little aggressive kind of. And so running was a nice way. It was like a very meditative activity and we had some really nice parks. I grew up in Indiana. Um, mm-hmm. that's where I ran. And so we had some really nice parks where we could just run and, you, you know, six, seven miles just in the forest running was actually a very, um, mental cleanse for me. So that helped out a lot, but it was just hard and going to school, um, and running was just really difficult as well, where like, I'll tell my kids, unless you're going to go pro in the sport, like you have an objectively objective shot to go pro, or you are, um, really in love with the sport. So I, I loved soccer football. Mm-hmm. That was, that mm-hmm. was my passion. And then, um, I ended up just being really good at running. So I just took that on, got a scholarship, et cetera, et cetera. But I never loved it. It was just, I was good at it, if that makes sense. Um, and so with things of that nature where it's not, and I, I I don't say this as a pejorative, but it's not necessarily a quote unquote talent based sport. It's a really an endurance based sport. Um, and so when you have that, there's just not like a lot you can do. It's basically just run. Whereas like when you play soccer, you could juggle, you could work on passing, you could work on shooting, you could work on strategy. There's all these different aspects mm-hmm. to the game that you can work on. There's an off season where you rest and stuff like that, where running mm-hmm. was just, just pervasive constantly throughout the year. And I was good, but there was kind of like levels to it where I was probably like the third level of good, where there was like, these guys are going to be pro athletes. These guys are incredible. And I was like the worst of the best, if that makes sense. So I knew I was never going to beat these top guys even like my best day, their worst day, I'm still not going to touch them. Like these people were just absolute machines. And so there was a certain aspect of like, I'm giving up all these pieces of my life for um, something that I'm never going to be able to be at the top of was always something that kind of stuck in the back of my mind where I was just like, yeah, I I like to play games I can win. And I was playing a game that I, it was just no matter how hard I trained or there's just, you know, it is what it is. It is a good life lesson though, where it's just, you know, some people are built different where it's just, it is what it is and try and play games that you can, you can win versus just kind of pissing it, pissing into the wind, if you will. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it's a, it's a, it's all about, uh, like you were saying, uh, ultimately passion and like, that's, that's what the person who's going to outwork you is probably the person who's going to have, uh, more passion for the sport or for the thing they're doing. And to be honest, uh, Kudos to you, man, for 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 being uh, a D one a D one runner because you're right. I can't think of many more brutal sports to to take part in. I mean, it's just uh, I have so much admiration for for runners. It's just like you said, there, there's there's nothing to it. You just get up and run every day until it hurts, and and that's it. <laughs> It's it. They're the only two people, uh, swimmers and wrestlers. Those were the only two other sports where I was like, all right, you guys, you guys have it worse than we do. But, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, very high on the commitment slash pain scale. Okay. Quick pivot into the value add segment. This is why the people bought the ticket, Tim. Why'd you start 1-800-D2C and why is it called that? 
Um, so I started 1-800-DTC to help e-com operators identify the right tools for their business. I thought it was a little bit difficult to keep up with all the new and uh, latest technologies. Uh, and, and there wasn't a good resource out there to help you sort of distill that information down. So that's why I started it. And the reason why it's called 1-800-DTC is kind of a play on uh, uh, a yellow, uh, yellow pages directory where uh, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're essentially organizing lots of information. And you can imagine, so that's why the website is all kind of uh, yellowy uh, and it's got hints at that. Um, and then the name 1-800-D2C, it's, it's almost like a, a phone number. Call this helpline to, to get some yeah. answers on the world of D2C. I love it. Yeah, it's fantastic branding. It's a fantastic website. You're a very good writer. Um, which is again, even more impressive that it's your second language that you're writing in, which is crazy. Um, what are the best parts of running it? What are the hardest parts of running it? Best parts. The best part is easy. I'd say it's, uh, speaking with people like you and I genuinely mean that like I, I'm a, I kind of see myself as like a, a glue in the, in the ecosystem, helping again, e-com, uh, individuals find access to the right technologies. So I get to speak to people who are building awesome brands, which is ultimately what what's like my real passion, what I've always been drawn to, but also meet the 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 enablers, the the tech platforms, the great entrepreneurs who are able to 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 build awesome businesses to support those D2C brands. So that's by far the best the best part. And then um the toughest part toughest part is uh uh I guess managing managing a roadmap and um and then keeping keeping everything all the different plates spinning so i i yeah. am boots i am bootstrapped you know and i'm doing this mornings evenings weekends uh which is with, with, with again without like a, a like a, a massive bank account behind it to to fund it so everything needs to make sense like the revenue needs to come in at the right time to then fund the initiatives etc and uh and you there's so many ideas that i have and i just have to take it step by step and not not uh not bet the house you know do things do things yeah. at their own pace uh, i think that's one of the it's it's a fun piece as well but it's also a tricky part of the 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 puzzle yeah i go back and forth on this cuz i i'm we're kind of in the similar vein of we're really, really scrappy, but at the same time, we do have some coffers to lean on if we do have an initiative that we want to kind of push forward. But I think there's a certain aspect of, yeah, like there's something in economics called the resource curse. Like the more resources you have, it can kind of be like a, a horrible thing, especially if you don't have like a great government in place, blah, blah, blah. And I think there's something to be said about that a little bit in D to C when people raise too much money and they just are looking for ways to spend the money versus looking for ways to push forward business objectives. And then they realize, okay, I need X or Y or Z resources. Mm -hmm. I think it's nuanced, but there's a certain flip where it's like at a certain point, like for example, like a CMO, like when you get all this money, there's a certain pressure that you feel to spend it, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like, you don't, investors don't give you money just to sit on it. Like they want you to deploy the capital, but at the same time, you need to be deploying it in a really efficient manner. And so there's this really nice tension that you have where sometimes I think when you have so much, so many resources, you lose the scrappiness that got you to the place that somebody wanted to give you resources. So it's a bit paradoxical. Do you, do you feel like yeah. that? Or do you think like if you guys had more money, it would be 
roses and uh, butterflies. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you, uh, like wholeheartedly. And uh, I think it's a really a, a nuanced and tough discussion because um, obviously having more resources is, is a good thing. Uh, so yes, right. you want more resources, but you want to stay scrappy. So finding that balance is tough. And I will say this, something I've been thinking about, it's not nothing too deep, but like uh, I've been on a few demo calls recently with very large uh, tech companies and and you meet you meet some individuals or you meet like you kind of get insight into the org the org structure and you're like like is this are we just adding red tape for no reason yes. like yes. does this need to be there and and that's obviously money and resources that they're spending on on extra parts of the of their of their uh their machine and uh it might not always be money well spent but the reason they have that money is not necessarily because they've raised. It could ultimately just be, I mean, we could talk about like a, a Google or like a Facebook mm -hmm. with the Facebook reps that I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure oh of, of speaking with, et cetera. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's not because they've raised, it's just because they have so much money and, yeah. and they have so much money because they're tech platforms and plat tech platforms have the beauty of scaling uh, like disproportionately faster than the, the 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 people the manpower behind it so when you have all that extra cash from your revenues etc you're kind of just like well why not why not hire 10 people in this department and then you have a department yep. that doesn't really move the needle uh yep. and so so it doesn't always have to be tied to you know vcs are bad and it's bad to take vc funding totally and all that you. stuff it could also happen from revenue that's a really that's a really prescient point the the other thing too that I would say is there's a certain assumption that when you hire more people, um, things can become more efficient. You're going to move faster. And if anything, I found the opposite where there's a certain aspect of for sure. Like when, so for example, I was basically running the triple whale marketing department by myself up until mm -hmm. February. And then we started hiring people. And then there was like this, oh yeah, we finally, there's more hands on deck, blah, blah, blah. But there's a certain aspect of, to your point of like that weird 10 person team of like, what is everybody kind of doing with their day? You know, like yeah. there's a certain aspect of like just adding headcount for headcount's sake or hiring into the future, um, I think is, uh, can be smart in some senses, but that's predicated on the fact that you know what the future is going to be. Mm -hmm. um, and then two, we've experienced sometimes where, and again, this is early stage startup. So you, you just have all sorts of very unique experiences, but sometimes just hiring or more headcount means less efficiency, means less productivity. And it's very, again, kind of paradoxical in that sense of like, you have more people doing less work. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of a place where it really helps to, again, going back to like those scrappy roots, I think is really, really pressing. I love the VC uh, idea that that's a really good point. Like, Money resources aren't necessarily inherently bad, but they can give you uh, the ability to fake your way into thinking you're being productive when you're actually um, just light hundred dollar bills on fire. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's tough for everyone. It, it's not. It is tough for everyone. It's 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 a it's a challenge that that most businesses will will incur, and no one yet necessarily has like the silver bullet to solve it. Yeah, no, very well put. Um, so you're rubbing up against a lot of these D2C founders, these D2C um, creators, all of this. 
What do you see some of the kind of biggest mistakes that you encounter with these people? Like, do everybody say, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that, or this is something that in the future I won't do again? Um, yeah, good question. I think there's maybe two things that I can call out. Well, one, the, the D2C game is, is incredibly difficult. So ultimately, it comes down to, to grit and passion to go back to one of the earlier points. Those are going to be the founders that stand the highest chance of, of winning. Um, so, uh, but, but the, the first, the first mistake I might see is people not focusing enough on, uh, uncovering like where they fit into the world. Why, why should, love that. yeah. Why should people go here instead of there? And just, it's not because you, you know, you managed to get a couple thousand orders in your first six months that you've secured your place in the world, um, in the way that other, you know, uh, uh, established brands have. So, so just, just taking those orders for granted and not digging further as to understand the psychology of, of the, the purchasers behind it is, is probably a mistake. Um, and then a mistake that I enjoy talking about a little bit, uh, because it, it could be paradoxical with the, the line of work that I'm in, but it's, um, uh, uh beefing up the tech stack too much, yeah. too, too early yeah. and adding on too many costs. So we could talk about the tech stack. Ultimately, the costs on a tech stack, they're not going to, yes, they can break the bank in some instances, but uh, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to ruin your business necessarily. And it's easy to turn on and off. But so, so you could make a bigger point about spending in general. And we were just talking about human resources, yeah. uh, hiring too many people who, uh, don't necessarily have a role that's fully secured. But to go back to the point about tech stacks, because again, I do think it's interesting with my position in the market. Um, you, you, you can. I've seen great businesses and I've interviewed fantastic businesses who have gone really far with um, super lean tech stacks because ultimately uh, a, a tech stack is not necessarily like a revenue driver. It's more like helping. It's a, like an operations component. It helps yep. you run your business more efficiently, get more insights faster. So well put. Um, and so, so yeah. So so don't 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 go crazy. Don't go crazy shopping, uh, which you know p people rarely do. But I, I do encounter some instances where people ask me like, "And what should I do for X?" And I'm like, "Well." You probably don't need to think about X until six months from now. Man, I think that is so on the head. And it sounds funny coming from, you know, one of these people in living in the tech stack with T-Dub. Um, but I think there's a certain aspect of making sure that you're just not getting tools for tools sake. Like there should be some pain that you're feeling that this tool then alleviate and or platform or what have you. Um, because I do feel like there's like, I knew, I, I know a guy that's doing some really cool kind of return stuff and, uh, the businesses he's working with are massive, massive businesses. And two of them are still literally operating off of spreadsheets. I'm talking multi-billion dollar companies and the whole company still run off a spreadsheet, which absolutely blows my mind. But mm -hmm. to your point, um, 
you know, there's a certain aspect of maybe they should find a tool set <laughs> that they can move into. But I think that's a really great advice where you can get into some really weird quagmires, especially too, if you get into like six or 12 month contracts where it isn't as easy to turn on and off. And you're like, oh man, I'm on the hook for 5k a month for a tool that's not even making my business any better. And I'm just bleeding this money. Um, mm -hmm. I love that. That's a really, really prescient point. And actually even more to like, to, to your point, uh, more realistically, when you're talking about five to, to 10 months contracts or more, you're, you're looking at, you're talking about agencies and yes. founders, founders do, do make that mistake quite a bit. It's hard to meet a founder who has never been burned by an agency. <laughs> it just, it's just, it's just, uh, it just happens. Um, yeah. And, and so I guess if there's ever a piece of advice on that, it's, um, yeah, try and stay away from these long-term uh, commitments. These, these, and 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 if you can go month to month, that would be the the best negotiation tactic. Yeah, that's what I recommend for people. Where if you can, you know, even if you have to pay a premium for the optionality, it's much better to pay one or two months that are inflated, and then you can pull the ripcord versus you're dealing with a six, eight, ten month kind of horror story of you're just bleeding money and these people are taking up your time. They're not doing good work, et cetera, et cetera. Not that there's not great agencies out there, but there's mm -hmm. definitely a lot of fuckery in the space where yeah, you can, you can get into some, I love how you said that it's very, it's really hard to encounter a DTC founder that has not had some sort of horror story with an agency. That's, that's so true. <laughs> so I was doing some research on you and I was, I saw you have a little bit of a beef with subscriptions. So you want to talk about that a little bit with your, because uh, I love how you, you have a, a, instead of subscriptions, you think I should be framed in terms of memberships. And I thought that was the most clever, like, I absolutely loved it. I, I, I'm almost thinking of like, we need to change our triple well subscription to become a triple well membership. And part of your membership is X, Y, and Z. Like, I think that is one of the coolest mental model flips um, on the planet. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually happening. Like, you know, lots of, uh, lots of brands are changing their terminology on their sites to talk more about memberships as opposed to subscriptions. Um, I think like a subscription is, that's almost like the, the business model term that a, a company like Spotify or Netflix might use. And, uh, but when you're dealing with a brand, you're dealing with something emotional, something that you want to feel a part of it's much nicer to be a part of a membership. So a uh, subscription defines the, I guess, the cadence at which you receive goods and membership uh, defines uh, mo mo the benefits that come with engaging with uh, a brand, putting your money where your mouth is and engaging with the brand for the long term. That's, that's the rough, that's the rough idea behind, behind all of that. And so as a, the one example I often talk about in terms of memberships, and you might know this brand too, they're called Rafa. They do cycling gear. Yeah, okay. I, uh, peripherally. I, I know them peripherally, but not super in-depth. Such a cool business. I mean, they're, they're not necessarily a D2C darling because they're not known for that, but they make, uh, they make cycling gear for, uh, yeah. for, super, uh, for, for super enthusiasts of, of road cycling. And they've got these retail stores in lots of different locations. So in London, in New York, in SF, like all and all over the world. And as part of a membership with Rafa, you can buy premium gear that's all pink. And so when you're out on the road 
and you're seeing somebody mm-hmm. rocking the the pink Rafa gear, you're like, oh shit, you're you're legit. You're you're a yeah. legit cyclist, and you're a real diehard uh, Rafa fan. And I can I can spot you from a mile away because you're wearing fuchsia pink, and also I can I can start a conversation with you. So that's one of the perks. The other perk you get is, um, well, you're traveling, Raba. You're you're all over the world. You were in Barcelona a couple of weeks ago. You love cycling. Go to the Rafa store. And as a member, you can rent one of our bikes. And their bikes are like premium, super premium. So you don't have to haul your bike all the way from Austin to Barcelona to go bike riding. You can get a very premium bike as part of the membership. That's the second benefit. And the third benefit is um, once you're done cycling, typically cyclists, or at least there's a myth around that. I don't know if it's a myth or if if it's reality. You go for coffee. You go for coffee with the yeah, people you, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you went on a ride with. And so they have a coffee shop. And guess what? Coffee's on the house if you're a member. So for me, I'm like, that's if you're a DTC brand trying to build community and all that, you want to build membership and it has to kind of look like that. And one of the components that's of that, the, 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 you know, you talk about loyalty and, and, and the other components that get tacked on to, to subscription and memberships. That's definitely a part of the equation. And then there's this whole another topic, because I do think you're interested in the crypto space, the token gated experiences, yeah. you know, where you get access to custom gear because you're a token holder. This is what's happening here. You're a member. You bought it online. There's no, there's no crypto or blockchain component at all, but you bought the membership and now you have access to the pink gear. And that's a token gated experience on its own, which, uh, which I think is a, a good model for the future. Man, you're blowing my mind. We're changing the memberships tomorrow that is such a cool idea and the other thing that you really hit on that just illuminated like my my mind is just spinning right now is the inherent almost uh so not only the community and not only like the emotional connection but it just feels different where the subscription does feel like a transaction where the community or the membership feels like a club and then i get these perks as part of that club and so it, it, like a transactional relationship versus um, something built off of a community. And then part of, because I'm part of that community, I get X, Y, and Z. It sounds like it's the same thing, but it's totally different. I'm not doing the math of like, okay, cool. This subscription gets me three cups of coffee, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh man, I'm part of this community. And these are all the perks that I can take advantage of to uh, help either submit my status in the community to connect with other people that I care about that are interested in the same things that I am or to have access to exclusive things that nobody else has access to. Yeah, I love that. That's one of the, that's a big epiphany for me. That's a big mind shift. That's very well put. And you know, another, another thing to, to, to kind of cement all of that to, to maybe think about is um, a, a subscribed customer is not, uh, they're not just a, people are, are seeing maybe a subscribed customer as a higher LTV customer. But they're not just a higher LTV customer. There's somebody who's like stocking their home with your goods and probably tells all their friends about your goods. They're consistently, you know, putting your stuff in their in their world. So they're, they, they can't wait to talk about your brand. They can't wait to share it with their friends. They can't wait to be the evangelist. They're not just a higher LTV. They actually have power to influence many people around them. So they're, they're a real community member. They're they should be a member, not a subscriber. Man, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. I love that. Um, how do you see the next two to three years unfolding in e-commerce? 
Um, I I think well, probably more. I would say more emphasis on brand than in the yep. past few years, just because uh, it's just such a brutal game out there. And and as we talked that's about, fine. that's what that's what makes the difference between a good brand and and a, a not so good D two C brand. It's grit and passion uh, uh, for for solving a, a real problem in the world and seeing where it fits in the market. So more more of that. Um, and and I think like more sophistication of the the space as a whole. We're still yeah. we're still in the early days. Triple Whale is how many years old? Like. A year and a half. Even, yeah, yeah, barely a year and a half. Really, and maybe six months of actual like really being around. How crazy is that? And you know, you guys are, are such a huge player in the market, and you have such a great solution. Uh, you know, in the next two years, can you imagine how much more progress you're going to make after that? So, more sophistication, and we'll get closer to you know what we were just talking about with Rafa, for example, to actually enabling those types of crazy custom experiences. Uh, and making those available to the everyday merchant on Shopify. So more sophistication, more focus on brand. Yeah, I, I, I totally endorse those. What about marketplaces? You've written in the past that marketplaces seem to be a big trend. Do you see those still cropping up or do you think those are kind of going to go away or like kind of, I think Nick Sharma does something where he's aggregating some brands. Um, there's a few kind of like, things going down where people are kind of aggregating all these other things in terms of a marketplace, maybe not per se, like a literal marketplace, but I, I just know you've written in the past about kind of marketplaces. And so I didn't know if you want to comment on that at all. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I was, I'm super bullish on them and uh, to me, they make a lot of sense. And I was writing a lot about that six months ago. And to be honest, in the past six months, I haven't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen it happen yeah. in real life. Same. So yeah, yeah. is, is it, is it going to happen later? Is it never going to happen? Uh, I don't, I don't really know, but conceptually I'm still bullish on it. Meaning that, um, you know, uh, like a, an online, an online, uh, well, you, you know, like an online grocery store of your fate, like air, air one, is that the brand, the, the, the yep. grocery yep. store Super in LA? A little bit fancy. Yeah. yeah like a, so, like a fancy whole foods. Fancy Whole Foods and what like what do they pride themselves on is the curation of amazing products. So I just spoke to the team at Taika, for example, that sells their coffee and their coffee's in there. Uh, I might want to buy a few other goods from Erwan to to try these different goods. And if they had a presence online, which they probably do, then I now have access to the, this marketplace where I can buy where I can buy these goods. And for me, that's convenient. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so. I I thought there'd be one already challenging a Dick Sporting Goods. Maybe yep. it will have to be you and I uh, starting that up. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's so many you know so ten thousand Roan all these all these stance all these great sports uh, DTC brands in one place. You know yep. to challenge a Dick Sporting Goods. Can we make that happen? I, I I'm super bullish on it, but like you said, it it's not really happened yet. So. Who knows if it's just a matter of time or if it's just not 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 a good business to be in. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't unwind the economics there, but I, I mean, because in a way, a little bit of one eight hundred D to C is a pseudo marketplace, right? Like it's it's a, a very nice curated directory, and so that that that's ultimately what a marketplace can and can't be. And then 
Well, yeah, we should figure something out though, because I think you're really onto something. The one question I would ask you is, do you think a marketplace will be more successful under a brand or under a personality? So like a Nick Sharma having his own marketplace versus one eight hundred D to C's. You know, here's here's the best apps to buy, or here if that makes sense. Do you, do you think a brand would be more successful or a personality running a marketplace? So I've actually thought about this, and I think it's a really fun topic to to discuss. Um, t- two points. One, I th- I think it would be it, w- it would be a brand um, because oh, okay. a, a person um, will only be able to to represent themselves, and so because a person has uh, unless they're like an athlete of everything, they wouldn't be able to really provide a. a a, a legit marketplace of sports goods, for example. So I think a brand would be able to do that. And how fun would it be and how easy would it be to sponsor athletes to support you as a brand of the marketplace? Because you're just giving right. them stance and you're giving them roan and you're giving them um, you know, all the cool D2C sports brands, but it's from you. So they're rocking, they're, they're representing you and they're an athlete of you as the marketplace yet they're rocking all these different brands. So it's easy. Uh, I would imagine it's easy to find influencers who want to be a part of, of that because they get goods from lots of different brands. So that's one part. But the, the part about the influencer, um, this is something I've been thinking about a ton. Uh, and uh, and actually, Adrian Alfieri, if you've ever stumbled upon upon him, he's a, he's a writer. He runs his own content marketing agency. Uh, called verbatim, uh, and he interviews. He, he introduces. A, he inter- interviews a lot of founders in a series called The Proof. And as a part of that, he asks them quick fire questions like, "What's your favorite book? What's your favorite this? What's your favorite that?" And it's some, what's your favorite way to wind down? And a lot of times they're quoting different products or different things. Uh... And that, for me, that's the stack of the human. And I think Rob has got an interesting stack and I think somebody else might have That's a very interesting, interesting. stack. And I so I always that. thought, I always thought about, you know, buying up a domain called or, 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 or setting up a website called life according to, and that That's would brilliant. be your favorite things. And that's your that's your stack. So I think a marketplace like that, based on the personality, works really well, and it would re- work really well in a in a lightweight sort of link in bio type way. Um, but a marketplace as a whole for sports, I think that that should be a brand. Tim, you're brilliant. That's amazing. That's really smart, and it gets away from the pigeonhole of. You're getting the best of both worlds because you have the personality interviewing the other personality. But by definition, you're going to have differentiation because everybody is different. And so you're going to have these different texts or these different life stacks um, just by happenstance because everybody enjoys life and lives life in a different way, even no matter how nuanced. That's brilliant. That's a really good answer. I was I was 100% in on the influencer, but that's a, that's a way better way to do it. And then I do agree with you on the brand because the – the acquisition mechanics and the economics just work a little better with that brand, especially if you're trying to take over X, Y, or Z vertical. Yeah. You have thought about this a lot. Those are very polished answers. And you know, you know what the other thing I'll note on there is Amazon is, uh, has launched something. A friend of mine was showing me where if you're an influencer, you can now say, what are your favorite items? 
and kind of link the link a profile your amazon uh, profile of yeah, goods yeah. so it, it's it's actually it's actually already happening via via the amazon marketplace you could have the robustack oh, on on amazon which which is pretty cool you know if you want to live like um you know your favorite athlete you could technically just buy everything they own <laughs> via amazon that is so interesting what an interesting pitch i love that um Tim, you made it to the rapid fire. Are you ready? Uh, yes, let's do it. Okay, amazing. France, overrated, underrated? Uh, underrated. Oh, I like it. London, overrated, underrated? Underrated. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yellow branding, overrated, underrated? Uh, overrated. Oh, okay, I got one out of you. <laughs> Uh, community overrated underrated mm. it's hard it's hard to build an active community so yeah just 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 for shits and giggles i'll say overrated oh i like it getting spicy turn up the heat uh going to university overrated underrated overrated i like it yeah uh shopify 2.0 themes overrated underrated um Underrated. I dig it. Marketplaces, overrated, underrated. Underrated. Oh, I like it. TikTok, overrated, underrated. Underrated. Ooh, amazing. NFTs, overrated, underrated. Overrated. Oh, you're going to catch some heat. You're going to catch some heat. Um, what's your favorite meal and why? Mm. You're half French. You're, you guys do cuisine better than anybody. They say that. They say that. But actually, <laughs> like, actually, I'm I'm much more enjoy like um like a like a Thai a Thai dish. You know, like going to a couple. There's a couple of restaurants I love in New York, for example, where you get a cow soy cow soy, for example. That's a phenomenal dish. And um, so I guess let, let's go with that. That would be my answer. Amazing. Um, what's your favorite podcast? How I built this. Yeah, it's, they're so good. They're so, so good. So fascinating. So good. Um, favorite place to travel to and why? Mm, love going to New York now. I guess now that I don't live there, I love really? going to New York. It's just, just, just the energy's there and the creativity's there. It gives you, gives you a boost of everything. I totally with you. My only pushback on New York is I would burn up there. Like it's just so energetic, but there's no way for me to turn off. I, I have a horrible time of uh, like stepping out of the fire and I know yeah. I would just disintegrate there, but I love it. Manhattan, Brooklyn, all of it is just a really, really good vibe. But uh, yeah, it's, it's too much for me sometimes. And I hate the cold. Yeah, you you, uh, you said place to visit. I, so I guess to visit, I, I would say I'd still say New York, but I agree to live. Yeah, maybe not so much. That's challenging. All right, last one. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional, who would they be? So there's a four-person table. You're sitting at the head. You have three seats to fill. Who's getting the invite from Tim? Like, I want somebody really funny, so I'll go with, like, Eddie Murphy. 
at the table. <laughs> I think you're the first person that's chosen a comedian. That's a great point. Humor is such a diffuser. It's yeah. a really good point. Um, then somebody who's like, uh, let's. Mm, I mean, you know, I've never been asked this question, which is quite funny. Yeah. Uh, give me, give me like a Jean-Michel Basquiat as well. I want, I want, a, I want an artist in there. Be very cool, very cool. I just got to see a couple of his paintings uh, when I was in uh, Barca. We went, or not Barca, excuse me, Spain. We went to the Guggenheim in Bilbao. Um, Epic. Very cool. Epic. Yeah, yeah, very Epic. cool. Okay, so yeah. you got Jean, uh, Eddie, Jean-Michel Basquiat, Eddie Murphy, and then I'll go for uh, an athlete. Uh, I definitely want somebody there. Mm. Like a, a, a talk about a crazy person with a crazy work ethic, like a, a Michael Phelps. Give me, give me. Yeah. A Michael Phelps. Yeah. I don't know how he would mesh with, with the crew and what the dinner vibes would be like, but, um, <laughs> I'm sure he's got, he's got an interesting, uh, view of the world yeah it has to right i mean there's no way you can even with those natural gifts like they were doing a espn used to do sports science and he's like if you were creating a swimmer from like genetics he's like just perfect in every way but even mm -hmm. then you still have to put in the work like he's just just supremely talented and being able to win that many medals is just beyond me like that is a really what yeah. an interesting table that's a fun dinner it's a fun yeah. dinner tim yeah 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 yeah, I don't know if I would give you the same answer tomorrow, but let's roll with that first dinner and it's going to be a fun one. It'll be a fun one. Amazing. Tim, dude, thank you so much for taking the time. If you're ever out in Austin, give me a shout. Um, let the people know how they can connect with you, how they can connect with 100 D2C. This time is yours, my friend. Cool. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. Um, in terms of staying connected, I uh, am on Twitter, so you can find my personal account tim underscore underscore msk which i'll send over and 1-800-D2C and then subscribe to my newsletter on the website it's called yellow notes yeah it's fantastic tim's a phenomenal writer 1-800-D2C is actually a sensational directory with a bunch of really great essays as well as uh tech stack recommendations highly recommend it at least just go see the branding people the yellow themed yellow pages. I don't, I don't know these kids know what yellow pages are these days, but you used to get this big book of a directory of all the people in your city that you could look up with businesses and phone numbers and the whole thing. So it's a, it's a wonderful homage to that, Tim, you've done a great job there. Um, yeah, man, I've just had such a fun time. I, I think this podcast I've been that I've taken away the most from like you really look at marketing acquisition, branding, in a very unique way that has really shifted a lot of my views. So I really appreciate all your thoughtful and eloquent answers. Go follow Tim on the Twitters, go read 1-800-D2C. And if you do want to go get more involved with Triple Whale, we are triplewhale.com. We're on the bird app at Triple Whale. And then we have a fantastic newsletter that goes out every Tuesday, Thursday called Whale Mail. You can subscribe by going to triplewhale.com slash whale mail, W-H-A-L-E-M-A-I-L. Tim, thanks so much again. You crushed it. I appreciate you taking the time from France. And then, like I said, if you're ever back in New York, we'll, we'll connect. Or if you ever make it to Texas, uh, we'll take you out for some drinks, have some fun. 
Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. A big fan of yours and, um, and also the Triple Well fam. So appreciate it. Appreciate you, brother. And we're switching to memberships tomorrow, people. You will no longer be able to buy a Triple Well subscription. It will be a Triple Well membership. And maybe we need some, some fuchsia biking suits or something. Take a page out of Rafa, right? Like, oh, that's a Triple Well member. We know. We know. Yes, yes, yes. Brilliant. All right, folks. That's it. That's another row eyes in the books. Thanks again, Tim. And uh, we'll see everybody on the flip. Bye-bye.